It's a crazy world out there. And this is the place to help you figure out how to live in it. Welcome to the Masculinist Podcast, the show about how we live as Christian men and as the church in today's radically new and challenging world. I'm your host, Aaron Wren. Thank you for listening. Please visit our website and sign up for our newsletter today at themasculinist.com. And now for today's episode. Hello, this is Aaron. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm continuing with my series on American conservatism with a special emphasis on its relationship with evangelicalism. I covered the founding and history of conservatism a couple episodes ago. Then I talked about its social origins in people who were excluded from the cultural core of society. And I talked about how the Christian portion of conservatism has always been heavily Catholic-dominated. And by the way, we see that these socio-religious factors continue to play a role even today. People have been commenting recently on how Biden has appointed almost no white Protestants to senior positions in his administration. As it happens, I was just reading an academic book that pointed out even into the post-World War II era, Irish Catholic education in America had a strong anti-Protestant component to it. Now, Biden has some Irish ancestry. I'm not saying he's Irish Catholic per se, but he is Catholic and he grew up in that era, uh, right, that the religious tensions between denominations were very much still in play in formative years. And it probably did stamp how he thinks about these things even today, maybe even if at a subconscious level. In a similar light, right, I talked about how the ethnic insurgent nature of the Joseph McCarthy uh, investigations that people don't talk about today. We see that, uh, again, I was just thinking about like further examples of that. You know, the Kennedys supported Joseph McCarthy. Bobby Kennedy actually worked for Joseph McCarthy, and McCarthy was the godfather to his first kid. John F. Kennedy was the only Democratic senator who did not vote to censure McCarthy. He was absent uh, with a medical issue, but it's basically been suggested that it was convenient absence. Uh, he did not want to go against McCarthy. And it was only later that the Kennedys distanced themselves from McCarthy. And I'll throw a link uh, to more about the relationship between the Kennedys and the McCarthy uh, in the show notes. Today, I want to talk about conservatism through yet another lens, which is its economic origins. That is, who funded and who funds conservatism, and what were their economic interests? This is one where I'll warn you up front that I don't have a complete and definitive knowledge, and I don't know that there's really been a good monograph published on this, but I've read a couple of excellent books that really raise some interesting and frankly troubling questions about the interplay of economic interests, politics, and theology. Who financed conservatism? Well, one big source of funding was and is oil. So everybody talked about the Koch brothers. Uh, I think one of them, David, has actually passed away. But the Kochs are still still big names out there, right? Well, where do the Kochs get their money? Oil. Where did George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush get their money? Oil. William F. Buckley Jr. was rich, but where did his money come from? 
His dad made a fortune in oil. Now, not everybody was involved in oil, but as we'll see, oil played a big role in the development of conservatism. And this is where Protestantism really did play a big role in conservatism. Uh, Protestants were not the intellectual elites of conservatism, but the overwhelming majority of oil men were fundamentalist kind of evangelical Protestants, and it was their money that really fueled conservatism. A couple of books you might be interested in on the topic, uh, and I'll put links to these in the show notes. One is called The Big Rich by Brian Burrow, which looks at the history of the Texas oil industry and the creation of these massive fortunes by four to five guys who became known as the big rich because they were so rich. They were among the 10 wealthiest people in the whole country at one point. And this includes the Bass family or the Hunts. And this book makes clear that these folks were really very involved in financing conservative politics. And it's just kind of an entertaining book. Give you a little insight into Texas, uh, among other things. The other more scholarly and more important book is called Anointed with Oil, How Christianity and Crude Made Modern America by someone named Darren Dochuk. Now, I hope I'm pronouncing his, his name right. I'm going to pronounce it Dochuk. But again, if someone has a correction, I'll, I'll fix it in, in the next episode because I do want to get people's names right. He's a history uh, professor at Notre Dame. This book was called by some an instant classic. Uh, but although it's superb, I unfortunately think it's likely to end up mostly neglected because it's about the intersection of various phenomenon. So it tells a great history of the oil industry. It gives a history of 20th century Christianity. It gives a history of conservatism. It even gives a history of U.S. involvement in the Middle East, sheds a lot of light on that. But it's not the definitive book on any of those subjects. You know, I would contrast that with, again, George Nash's book on the history of conservatism, which is really considered the canonical history of that. So because this book is not the canonical history of anything, but is really more about the intersections, I'm afraid it'll get lost. But it's still an incredibly important and very, very uh, uh, good book to read. And I, I would recommend it. It's long, but very fascinating. Everything starts in Pennsylvania, which was the site of the first American oil boom. And there was a mad scramble for oil there, but ultimately John D. Rockefeller got complete control and everybody else was squeezed out and had to go regroup or start over somewhere else. And some of the losers ended up moving to Texas or California and helping to drive the oil boom there. But Pennsylvania set up the great division within the oil world between what we might think of as the establishment wing which was Rockefeller and his descendants and the oil majors like ExxonMobil, Chevron, BP, etc. And what we might think of as the populist wing, who were the independent oil companies and the wildcatters. And these two groups had a massive division between them across many issues that paralleled the economic splits uh, as well. So religiously, Dochuk divides them into what he called the civil religion of crude class, which was the uh, establishment, basically, and wildcat Christianity, who were the populists. The civil religion of crude side was heavily associated with mainline Protestantism. They were post-millennialists. They were liberal Republicans. They were based in the Northeast and fused with the establishment there. 
They represented shareholder or managerial capitalism. They were globally oriented and internationalist in outlook. They were pro-Arab in the Middle East, and they liked imported oil. The wildcat Christians were mostly, but not entirely, but mostly fundamentalist or evangelical with a big Pentecostal streak. The Holy Spirit was believed to play a role in hitting that gusher of oil. Uh, They were premillennialists. They were backers of conservative politics and a libertarian approach to economics and especially to oil drilling. They were hinterlanders from places like Texas or California. They represented entrepreneurial or family capitalism. They were mostly not part of nor tied in with the WASP establishment, although some would ultimately end up as part of it. They were very domestically oriented and wanted American oil over imported oil, and they were very pro-Israel. Now, the hostility of independent oil to government was completely understandable and justified, quite frankly. These people were scarred, some of them personally, by what had happened in Pennsylvania, and they were rightly worried it would happen all over again if the majors got the government to seize control of oil industry via regulation. So during the New Deal era and beyond, uh, people like Harold X spent decades trying to centralize control of the oil industry through things like the National Industrial Recovery Act, the Hot Oil Act, the Anglo-American Petroleum Agreement, and other things. And this was the area era when the government was essentially controlling the economy. It even won a now infamous Supreme Court case that the federal government had the right to prohibit people from growing food for their own personal consumption. Now, I don't have time to go into it all, but if X and the oil majors had gotten their way, it would have been Pennsylvania too all over again, basically. So these guys had legitimate worries about what the Rockefeller heirs were going to try to do to them all over again. The independents were especially keen to keep something called the rule of capture, which basically meant that you could drill on your land, and if you hit oil, you could pump as much as you wanted, as fast as you wanted. And even if that oil repository spanned multiple land boundaries and parcels, it didn't matter. Whoever pumped it first got it. So in this environment, it made complete sense for independent oil people to support Goldwater-style conservatism with its libertarian economics and hostility to the New Deal. It aligned perfectly with their economic interests. So H.L. Hunt, who was one of the big rich, became a big Goldwater backer, even though Lyndon Johnson was from Texas. I'll throw a link to a 1964 New York Times article about this in the show notes that'll give you some color on, on his rationale for how he decided to side with Goldwater over Johnson. Somebody said that all political disputes at the retail level are really transmorgified and distorted versions of intrafactional disputes at the elite level that the masses know nothing about. And I think this case of liberal versus conservative politics and oil majors versus independent players is a great example of this. I'll give you one example you've probably never heard of or thought about. One of the few WASP families to support conservatism were the Pews of Philadelphia. They were Presbyterians, by the way. Their money came from Sun Oil, which was an independent firm. And they had started in Pennsylvania, but ended up having to start again after Rockefeller got his monopoly in place. 
1964, Goldwater is running against Nelson Rockefeller for the Republican nomination. The Pews put big money into Goldwater's campaign, particularly the California primary, and ultimately, of course, Goldwater won the nomination. Was this about ideology? Not entirely. Here's what Dochuk had to say about it. He wrote, quote, When Barry Goldwater vanquished Nelson Rockefeller for leadership of the party in 1964, the Wildcat Wing served notice that its brand of religiosity and politics was ascendant. For independent oil producer J. Howard Pugh, the coordinated attack on Rockefeller's silk stocking wing of the GOP was animated not only by long-standing ideological differences within petroleum, but also a basic desire to get back at a family that had almost destroyed his father, Joseph Newton, Newton Pugh, whose 19th century oil and gas company foundered in the face of the standard monopoly. This wasn't just about politics. It was personal for these people, right? It was personal. About the Cokes, here's what Dochuk wrote about the quote, Cokes, quote, None would be more important than Charles and David Coke. Heirs to their father's Fred's oil fortune, they also harbored his extreme hatred for collectivism in any guise, a hatred generated by his encounters with Soviet communism and his unceasing professional fight with major oil companies who consistently tried to run him out of the refining business. Again, it's personal. It's personal. Have you ever thought about it this way? And again, I'm giving you insight in this podcast most of you don't know about. It's probably never going to come across anywhere else. Right? There's a lot going on that we've never thought about. I think that conservatism was probably driven much more by these sorts of personal and economic rationales that is generally believed today. Not that it was completely so, but that was an element. And by the way, as that quote earlier made clear, that's true of a lot of disputes in the present day. They represent invisible clashes of interests or even personal rivalries within the elite that we don't know anything about, right? We're arguing over what we think are policy or principle differences when in fact maybe there's something else going on behind the scenes. The oil money nexus profoundly affected Christianity, uh, which was deeply tied to oil interests basically everywhere. Docek, for example, shows how oil men financed missionaries to the third world, and then those missionaries were instrumental in helping the oil guys get into those places to drill. Here's what he wrote, quote, To an unprecedented degree, independent oil men joined this global outreach as if it were their ultimate duty. They used their petro capital to fund missionaries who could penetrate the jungles of South America with the Bible, then infiltrated the same terrains with their drill bits in tow in pursuit of economic conquest and a desire to construct model communities of Christian democracy in an attempt to make Pax Americana a global reality. Unquote. Now, to be clear, the Rockefellers and their crew were also deeply involved in Latin America although I think they were mostly fomenting coups for the CIA and the like. So this was a bipartisan uh, affair, uh, as it were. Now, Rockefeller Sr. was a Baptist, and his son technically was as well, but Rockefeller Jr. became the single greatest financier of liberal mainline Christianity in America. He put $100 million in back-then dollars 
into the ecumenical movement, for example. And the independent oil guys, in turn, were huge financiers of fundamentalism and evangelicalism. Name somebody famous in that evangelical world, fundamentalist world, they probably got oil money. Billy Graham. Billy Graham set himself up as a member of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. That's where he held his membership, even though he rarely attended there, because that's where a lot of the big rich guys go. He got a ton of oil money behind Billy Graham. Francis Schaeffer, oil money. Oral Roberts, Biola University, Christianity Today, the National Association of Evangelicals, Fuller Seminary, all financed in part with oil money. As Dochuk wrote, independent oil men had a lot to do with their confidence and with their freshly packaged fire and brimstone. In an attempt at revitalization, new evangelicals underscored the moral imperatives that had shaped the wildcat ethics over previous generations. What was required in America's darkest hour of the Cold War was for individuals to reclaim a personal relationship with Christ and all the liberties and market freedoms it promised, then prompt fellow citizens to be born again lest they succumb to socialism, secularism, and the looming state. Unquote. There was oil money backing both sides of this. For example, in the fundamentalist modernist controversy, Rockefeller Jr. paid to print and distribute Harry Emerson Fosdick's famous sermon, Shall the Fundamentalist Win? And the independent oil men, for their part, funded the series of books that became known as the Fundamentals, which is where we get the term fundamentalist. So oil money played a key role in financing conservatism and in financing Christianity in the 20th century. And again, Dochuk's book raises a lot of troubling questions about both American politics and Christianity that I think deserve more consideration and thought. I'm told there's a, a, at least one other good book um, than whose name escapes me out there about Christianity and oil. Uh, if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But he's not the only one that's written about this, but it, it's a dimension of Christianity and politics in America that's, that's seldom um, thought about. And again, I don't think this is something that happens just in the past. It's something that continues to today. I was sitting at church in NYC one day, and during passing of the peace, this guy in front of me talked like a good old boy, turned around and said, hi, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such, such, Texas. I went home, I Googled him, and sure enough, he was a big oil guy. So just remember, think of anybody or any institution in the Christian world, and there's a decent chance oil money played a role somewhere in building it up. Anyhow, thanks for listening, and next week we will continue with our series.